Hello, lovely people. Welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. Reggie here again with one hour of geeky facts, figures, fun, frolics, and I don't know, stuff. So let's get started with a couple of items of, no, 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 I hesitate to call it news, but geek-related information. Let's call it that. Uh, and it may be new to you, which I guess would technically make it news. Anyway, first of all, something I spotted on Facebook. Now, I know, I know, I know, Facebook is a massive dumpster fire, but good stuff happens there too. And and it was a Facebook post shared by a friend that alerted me to this. Uh, it's something that's not available in the UK at the moment, but probably will be at some point, and it's called Lego Replay. If you are a parent, there is a very good chance that you have a child who loves Lego, because everybody loves Lego. If you're an adult, there's, let's be honest, probably a chance you quite like Lego too. So, yeah, don't be coy. We all like a bit of Lego, unless we tread on it, in which case, ooh. But there are two problems with Lego. The first is that if you get carried away, you can end up with an awful lot of it, and it can take up an awful lot of space. And if you're a parent, you will absolutely know Lego is really expensive. I mean, really expensive. I don't know how parents afford it. I really don't. And that's where Lego Replay comes in. Basically. In the United States and Canada, if you have Lego that you want shot of, I know I can't quite get my head around that, but apparently there are people who've been known to throw Lego away. I know it's inconceivable to me too, but there you go. Well, to avoid that, bearing in mind that wonderful as it is, Lego is plastic and we kind of need less plastic getting chucked away. So in the United States and Canada, you can send your unwanted Lego back to Lego. And what they will do is disinfect all the pieces, you know, make sure everything's nice and clean and sanitary. And then they will just give it to people who can't afford Lego, who would benefit from having Lego. How cool is that? That's really cool. As I said, not a service that's available in the UK at the moment, but they are talking about rolling out into other countries. I would like you to join me in encouraging them to roll it out here. In the meantime, if you do have Lego you want to get rid of, find somebody with a child and just give it to them. Which brings me on to something you actually can participate in. Uh, something that uh, my business, Destination Venus, is involved with. But this isn't actually a plug for me. If anything, by telling you about this, I am sort of undermining my business model. But hey, the truth is that comics like Lego are kind of expensive. Okay. Now, I don't like advertising the fact that comics are expensive. What sane business person would ever tell potential clients that their products are expensive? But they are. Let's be honest. And there's not a lot I can do about it, so might as well just be honest. There are lots of reasons why comics are as expensive as they are. Some of them are good. Some of them are less so. Very few of them actually have to do with greed on the part of anybody. It's just a crazy business that ships really heavy things around the world, and that's expensive. So... Anyway, doesn't matter why they're expensive, the fact is that they are. Now, that is a problem to people like me, because I'm not just a comics retailer by, you know, business. I'm a teacher by training and a comics lover by inclination. I love comics, and I want more people to read them. At the moment, cost is a significant barrier to entry, and I don't like that. I really don't. I would give them away for free if I could. Speaking of which, free comic book day. If you listen to this on the day it drops, Free Comic Book Day is this Saturday, the 28th of August. 
uh, there will be a range of comics for you to pick up for free at Destination Venus and some of the comic shops around the country. Lots of people did it on August the 14th, which was the official date. A lot of people waited also in the way that I did because we didn't have the stuff. So free comics available then. The thing about Free Comic Book Day, though, is that Free Comic Book Day comics are specially produced for Free Comic Book Day. OK, they're not just regular comics you would buy off the rack. And I want people to get those as well. I'm very happy to tell you that the very, very good people over at Thoughtball, an organisation which is so much more than just the weekend con that they will be having here in Harrogate in November, the good people at Thoughtbubble feel the same way. They love comics too, and they want to get comics into the hands of as many people as possible. So they are going to do something about it. Let me introduce you to the Thought Bubble Comic Book Drive. Basically, it's a very simple idea. What they want you to do, if you have some comics that you are no longer reading, maybe taking up space in a corner of an attic somewhere, and you just need rid of them, I, I am here to tell you. Selling people comics is my business. I am here to tell you. There's probably not a lot of resale value in most of them. Some of them, maybe. Do check before you do this. But they're worth pence, if they're worth anything at all. But it's a heartbreaking thing to put comics into the recycling bin. I personally could never bring myself to do it. If you feel the same, but you just don't want the comics anymore, you've read them, they don't fit in your collection anymore, you haven't got the space, whatever it is, you can now give them to Thought Bubble. Thought Bubble will then take those donations of comics and distribute them to libraries, schools, charitable organisations, all kinds of people. Okay, Every single donation will end up in the hands of somebody who will benefit. So all you need to do, because I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, well, that's great. I've got you know a, bo a box of comics here that I don't want anymore, but I don't know where Thought Bubble is. Do I have to wait until November and drop them off at the con? No, you know, you don't. All you need to do is take your donation to any one of the Thought Bubble drop-off centres. These are, at the moment, this list may, may get longer, but at the moment. Travelling Man in Leeds, that's 32 Central Road in Leeds. Travelling Man in Manchester, that's 4 Dale Street, Manchester. Travelling Man York, that's 74 Goodrum Gate, York. Travelling Man Newcastle, that's 43 Granger Street, Newcastle upon Tyne. You may be noticing that Travelling Man is very heavily involved in this. There's a reason for that, which we'll get to. And Destination Venus, Westgate House, Station Parade, Harrogate. That's underneath the stairs at the Everyman Cinema. Now, there are some um, little caveats that I need to throw in here. Um, if you're going to any of those drop-off centres, particularly if it's mine, please make sure they're open before you go. Please do not leave boxes of comics outside for a couple of reasons. First of all, they're a trip hazard. Second of all, we live in Britain. It'll rain. They'll be ruined. So check with wherever you're taking them that they'll be open when you get there. And then please make sure that you give your donation to a member of staff. OK, don't just leave it lying around. People won't know what it is. And it's been a long time since everybody looked at an unattended package as a potential bomb scare. But we do still look at unattended packages as potential bomb scares. So, you know, please don't. 
if you've got a massive amount of comics to donate, then it may not be practical for you to drop it all off at once at any of the drop-off centres if they don't know you're coming. I don't want to speak for Travelling Man, but I can tell you that as far as Destination Venus goes, if you've got more than a couple of boxes, I need you to let me know that before you come, because I don't have any storage space. So if if somebody turns up with 10 boxes of comics, I've got nowhere to put them. So, you know, I'd need some notice. I can deal with it. I can absolutely deal with it. If you've got 10 boxes of comics, by all means, bring me 10 boxes of comics, but let me know first so that I can make appropriate arrangements. Okay. If 10 boxes of comics just suddenly turn up out of the blue, I'm going to have a problem. I imagine that Travelling Man, at least some of them, are going to be in the same boat. Our stores are not massive. So, you know, just let us know. We'll deal with it, but let us know. Some people listening to this might be thinking, oh, but I live miles away from any of those drop-off points, and I, I, I don't have that many comics to give away. Can I post them? You absolutely can. Uh, just go to the Thought Bubble website and uh, click on the Outreach button at the front of the homepage and look for Comic Book Drive. All the details are there. Links, obviously, in the show notes. And look, if you are in Harrogate and its immediate surrounding area and you have a large number of boxes and you think you're going to struggle to bring them into the shop because you've only got a little car or no car, then let me know. I may be able to arrange to pick them up from you. Okay, I'm making no promises about that. This is not an actual service that we're offering. But if you've got a whole bunch of comics to give away and you can't get them to us, and you live in Harrogate or Knaresborough, then let me know, info at destinationvenus.co.uk, and I will see what I can do to collect them, okay? Can't say fairer than that. No promises, but I genuinely will do the best I can. Okay, moving on, because you may be thinking that that little item was probably more suited to the Geek Community Cork Board, but I think it's news too, so I I dropped it in the news section, and I wanted it right at the front of the show, because... I'm not entirely sure that anyone ever listens to this all the way to the end. So, you know. Anyway, we do have some other news, and I'm cautiously excited about it. It may, of course, be nonsense because it's a rumour, and we all know how reliable rumours can be. But it has been reported that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has chosen its Professor Xavier. If you are not a comics geek uh, and you've never seen an X-Men movie, you may not know who Charles Xavier is. Charles Xavier is Patrick Stewart. Sorry. Charles Xavier is the guy who founded the X-Men. He is the Professor X. Okay. He is a very powerful mutant. He is psychic. He can read people's minds. He has a very powerful computery thing called Cerebro, which allows him to extend his telepathy, and he created the Charles Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, which is otherwise known as X-Men Academy. It's the place that young mutants who are just developing their powers can go to to learn how to control them. Some of them are then recruited into the X-Men, and that is probably the best superhero group of all time. Say what you like about the Avengers. They made some very good movies. In my view, better movies than the ones that featured the X-Men, at least in recent times. 
But the Avengers are the men. The Avengers are the government. The X-Men are properly rebels. And I've always loved the X-Men for that. So the rumour is that the MCU has found it's Charles Xavier. Who have they found? Well, have you seen Breaking Bad? Or The Mandalorian? Or many other things that he's been in that I can't think what they are right now, but he's been in them. I am talking about the immense talent that is Giancarlo Esposito. He is Moff Gideon in The Mandalorian and he's in Breaking Bad. Um, Gus Fring, he's Gus Fring in Breaking Bad. He's also uh, the voice of Lex Luthor uh, in uh, Harley Quinn. He's the boys. I mean, he's got like nearly 200 on-screen credits, so he gets around. He's also a fantastically good actor who looks good bald, which is important because I'm going to be cross if we have a Charles Xavier with hair. It's kind of important to me that he's bald. I don't know why, but that matters. What doesn't matter to me is the fact that Esposito is uh, Latinx. I note from the internet that this does matter to a bunch of people who keep pointing out that Professor Xavier is a white man, and I can't believe I'm having to say this again, but that doesn't matter. There is nothing inherent to the character of Charles Xavier that says Charles Xavier has to be white. And it's, it's such a boring conversation to have to have, because... You always get objections like, well, okay then, if we can change the the, the ethnicity of a white character, how come we don't make White Panther then? And you have to kind of go, guys, seriously, look, there are some characters where the ethnicity does matter, okay, where it is integral to the character. So, for instance, I wouldn't want them to change the ethnicity of Shang-Chi. Okay, he's kind of got to be Chinese. It's kind of important. I wouldn't equally want them to change the ethnicity of Danny Rand. At least, I certainly don't think they should make him Asian. Might work if they made him African-American or even African. But the point of Danny Rand is that he's an outsider to the Kung Fu world. He's not from that culture. He's not from that place. For that reason, I don't think you could race swap Danny Danny Rand. I also don't think you could possibly race swap T'Challa. He's the king of an African kingdom. I suppose at a push, you could say that his dad married a white woman and so he's mixed race, but you couldn't have a white guy as Black Panther. That would actually make no sense because of what the character is. Uh, I would feel the same about Luke Cage. You could have a very powerful white character. You could make Power Man a white guy if you made Power Man the secret identity of a different character. But Luke Cage, Luke Cage's whole point is that he's from Harlem. Yeah, he's a black guy from Harlem. He carries that culture with him in the way that a white character simply couldn't. So, yeah, uh, I am fine with changing the ethnicity of um, Professor Xavier. Uh, I think Giancarlo would be an excellent choice. He's a fine, fine actor. So, yeah, this is one that I really, really hope is true. Really do. So that's that. Um, Links, as ever, in the show notes to various articles about the things that we've just discussed. And it is now time to move on because it's high time to talk about 
And after last week's little misery fest about climate change, I thought we'd have a look at something different. Now, I did say last week we would do something more fun. I'm not sure this is fun, but it is at least partially optimistic. One of the things that you have to be careful of in science is unintended consequences. Sometimes you do something and you get the results you expected. You also get results you didn't expect. Now, often those unexpected consequences are bad. This is an example where they're really, really not. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to talk to you about the Montreal Protocol and CFCs. If you are incredibly old, like what I am, you may remember the late 1980s, early 1990s, and you may remember that the big environmental thing at the time wasn't really climate change. It was the hole in the ozone layer. And that is being caused by a, a, a type of gases, a group of gases, probably a better way of putting it, called chlorofluorocarbons or CFCs. And they were used as aerosol propellants. They were used in fridges as uh, coolant gases. And I presume they're being used for these things because they were cheap. They were, however, also really bad for the atmosphere. Uh, basically, what would happen is that these gases would be released into the atmosphere through uh, the fridge being smashed up or the aerosol being sprayed. And they would rise, as gases often do. Uh, I believe standard chlorofluorocarbons are less dense than air at, a, at one atmosphere. So they would rise up through the atmosphere and they would end up quite high up in the stratosphere where they would destroy ozone. Now, we have an ozone layer around the top of our atmosphere. Uh, ozone is uh, a, a type of oxygen. Basically, if you're if you're not big up on chemistry, uh, oxygen, as the gas we know as oxygen, is O2. Each molecule is two oxygen atoms. Um, ozone is O3, three oxygen atoms as a molecule. Now, this forms a layer around the top of our atmosphere. And what it does is absorb a lot of the sun's ultraviolet light. I suppose if we want a nice analogy, the ozone layer is the planet's sunglasses. It keeps a lot of the UV off of us. Now, that's really important because UV light is horribly bad. OK, it's quite destructive. It kills things. And uh, you may quite like having a tan in the summer. But what you're actually doing if you go out deliberately to get a suntan is you are giving yourself radiation damage uh, by exposing yourself to the ultraviolet light. The reason your skin is going browner is because your body is saying there's too much UV light here. We need to, to, to make this, the pigment in the skin darker so that we get less of it and it will kill us less and give us less cancer. OK, so, yeah, that's what the ozone layer does for us. And what was happening was that the CFCs that were being released at ground level were getting up into the ozone layer and destroying the ozone so that over the Antarctic in particular, uh, it was discovered there was a massive hole, just no ozone layer at all above the Antarctic. This was proving to be a real problem in places like Australia, which is A, very sunny, and B, quite far south. And it was, you know, it could have contributed to a major spike in skin cancers and that kind of thing. So it was decided we were going to get rid of CFCs. It was actually the Montreal Protocol. Uh, there was a big summit in Montreal in Canada, and they came up with what's called the Montreal Protocol, which 
detailed how humanity worldwide was going to phase out CFCs. And we largely did it. Uh, not 100% successful, but CFC emissions have reduced by you know something like 98%. And the ozone hole has healed or started to heal. I don't think it's completely gone yet. So, you know, generally speaking, big success, ozone layer saved. Woohoo! But, turns out, better than that. Some work's been done, uh, a study's been released this week, and I'm really sorry, I forgot to write down where this had been released. I wrote, I listened to, the. it was a radio programme on the BBC, I listened very carefully to the facts and made notes, didn't make a note of where this report had appeared, and now can't find it. So, links hopefully to the report in the show notes if I can find it. Otherwise, you might just have to take my word for it. But seriously, I wouldn't lie to you about something like this. Basically, studies have been done and released in the last week or so to see what would have happened to the atmosphere if we hadn't changed our ways and if we'd kept on pumping CFCs into the atmosphere at the rate we were and, you know, increasing the amount of CFCs we were pumping out in relation to the growth of the economy. And Turns out, really good job we stopped, guys. Really good job we stopped. Because although the Montreal Protocol and the stopping of CFCs was not about climate change, had we not done that, our climate change problem would have been a heck of a lot worse for two reasons. First of all, CFCs themselves were a greenhouse gas. So their increased presence in the atmosphere would have heated the atmosphere more quickly than it's heating already. Now, clearly, we're going to struggle with the amount it's heating now. So had it been worse, that would be worse. But also, we haven't lost the ozone layer, which means the UV rays aren't getting to the ground. Now, the UV rays would have been a problem because by now, they would likely be killing vegetation, which would, again, be putting more carbon into the atmosphere. So had we not had all the fuss and kerfuffle about CFCs and had we not signed the Montreal Protocol, got that through and reduced almost to nothing the amount of CFCs we're putting into the atmosphere, we would be in a very serious situation. We've inadvertently saved ourselves a much bigger headache than we would have had. So Yale's, it's nice when sometimes things go right accidentally. And I've got some links in the show notes to an article which goes into much more detail about all of this. Uh, It's from IOP Science and it it sort of explains what kind of figures we'll be talking about. We'd have been looking at several degrees more of warming in the atmosphere had we not done this. It's quite a long report, there's quite a lot of figures in it. I don't propose to read from it here. That I've just given you the general gist. Um, links in the show notes, go and have a look if this is something that interests you and you want to get into the chemistry and stuff of it. So that's all good and that's all positive. Of course, I'm going to try not to make this the boring preachy part, or at least I'm going to try and make it not the preachy part. The boring is up to your judgment. Um, But it does raise a couple of issues with how we tackle climate change moving forwards because what it shows us is that The atmosphere is so much more complicated than we might give it credit for, which means we've got to be really careful how we do things. It's entirely possible that we could 
do something, take some action to mitigate the effects of climate change, which have a knock-on effect that we weren't expecting that actually makes things worse. One example that immediately springs to mind and that was raised on the, uh, the BBC show, which I can't remember what it was, but that was one of the things that they're genuinely talking about doing. And by they, I mean scientists. Uh, specifically, I think this project is in the Middle East at the moment. I think it's Dubai. Uh, but anyway, what they're talking about doing is essentially putting a sunshade over the Earth to reduce the amount of heat from the sun that gets through the atmosphere to the ground. And that will help mitigate the fact that the atmosphere holds more heat by stopping some of that heat arriving and, you know, may keep us a little bit cooler, may help us cool things down a little bit more quickly. Now, the way they're proposing to do this is to release aerosol sulfites into the upper atmosphere. Brilliant. There's no reason that wouldn't work. That would effectively make it permanently cloudy or imitate what happens when volcanoes go off and we get dust in the high atmosphere. Just cool things down a bit. Might make the sky a little bit less blue, might make it a bit greyer. Actually, genuinely not sure what visually the effect would be. Uh, but it would help cool things down, except sulfites destroy ozone. So potentially what you could be doing is, on the one hand, putting up a shade to stop the visual light and the heat radiation coming from the sun getting into the atmosphere, but at the same time, be destroying something that's already doing that. Potentially, you could spend a lot of time and money and destroy an awful lot of ozone for zero benefit or perhaps even slightly make things worse. So it's just another little wake up call to tell us that, yeah, do you know what? You really need to be careful with this. But that's science for you. You know, science isn't the answer. Science isn't truth. Science is a question, always a question. Science is what happens if and the process of finding out. So we've got to be careful and test everything and really think things through and be absolutely awake to the possibility of unintended consequences because there are always going to be some. In this example, they were good, but it could have gone the other way. The only way to, we found out was to do the research. Anyway, that's quite enough science for now. Uh, we are in serious danger of sliding into being the boring breachy part. Don't want to do that. So let's move on. So then, a little bit of movie news to lighten the mood. You will probably have seen by now, if you care about such things, the new Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Now, I have issues with the MCU Spider-Man. I love Tom Holland. I think Tom Holland is an excellent, excellent Peter Parker, and I think he's an excellent, excellent Spider-Man. He gives us back something that we've never really had on the screen and not had in the comics for a long time, which is Kid Peter Parker. You need to remember, as originally envisaged, Peter Parker was a high school kid. He was a nerd. He was bullied by the jocks. You know, he was basically the proxy for an awful lot of the kids who were reading Spider-Man back in the 60s. And Holland brings some of that kid innocence with him in a way that previous Spider-Men didn't. Um, if I think of Tobey Maguire never really convinced me as a high school student. I was teaching at the time that 
the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man film came out. And I remember thinking at the time, I probably said at the time, if I saw Tobey Maguire walking down the corridors of my school and I didn't know who he was, I would challenge him and ask him what his business was because I would think there was an unknown adult wandering around my school. And that, my friends, is a safeguarding issue. So I never was convinced by Tobey Maguire as a teenager. And I was never really convinced by Andrew Garfield as as a geek. Andrew Garfield was just too damn cool. Holland? Holland is good on a couple of levels. First of all, he's very slightly built. I think he's in his 20s now, but he makes a convincing teenager. He's also prepared to play the vulnerability of Peter Parker, which I like. Going to that, that he's got some dance training. I mean, he started out his career as Billy Elliot. Um, And you've suddenly got possibly the perfect person to play Spider-Man. He's slightly built and he can do the moves. A lot of the web swing that we see in the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield movies is CGI. And do you know what? I'm sure that some of it is in the Holland movies too. But the way Holland moves, he moves like Spider-Man moves in the comics. From the very first time I saw him in the trailer for Avengers, uh, Avengers, Captain America Civil War, because we're going to pretend it wasn't an Avengers movie. You could see he was Spider-Man when he takes Cap Shield and says, hey, everybody. And and the, the grace with which he moves. Spot on. Absolutely spot on. So love Tom Holland. Not a fan of the way the character has been written for the MCU, though. Because in the comics, Peter Parker, my Peter Parker, is a boy genius. Okay, he builds his own web shooters. He designs the web fluid. He's his own guy. He asks permission of nobody and he does his own thing. And he does it because he believes it's the right thing to do with great power and all of that. That's kind of been taken away from him. I understand why they made him a protege of Tony Stark. I do. I really do. But I don't like it. Because what we've got with the MCU, Peter Parker, is a talented kid playing with somebody else's toys. And he does ask permission. Indeed, Tony Stark revokes permission for him to be Spider-Man at one point. And no, 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 that's not Spider-Man. That isn't. So all of that said, I was nervous for this trailer because they're doing something that has been associated with Spider-Man in the comics for some time, and that's a multiverse. If you have any sense at all, and you like superheroes, you will have seen the astonishingly good Into the Spider-Verse animated feature. If you haven't, please, please, I think it's still streaming on Netflix, watch it on the best quality screen you can find. It will reward every single pixel. It's so good. I will argue, I mean, we back in the Geeks on the Gate days, um, me and Hat and Liz discussed Into the Spider-Verse, and we came to the conclusion that it was essentially not just the best Spider-Man movie ever made, live, action, or animated. It's probably the best superhero film ever made, live, action, or animated. And I've got to tell you, I've seen most of them. So 
you know, I'm drawing from some knowledge here. Now, you can disagree with me if you like. You're entitled to be wrong. But that's more like it in terms of characterization. But anyway, this idea of multiverses and alternative reality spider people has been around in Spider-Man for a long time. And it's interesting to me that, that, that we're going that way now. Makes sense to have Doctor Strange involved of the characters in the MCU who could perhaps do the whole multiverse thing. Doctor Strange is the obvious choice. And clearly, given that the next Doctor Strange movie is called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, that's a direction they're taking Strange in anyway. So, OK, all makes sense. What we seem to be getting in the trailer for No Way Home is the sense that they're going to reprise a storyline from the comics called Brand New Day. Now, what that was, was Peter Parker had revealed his identity as Spider-Man during the Civil War storyline, a storyline which had very little to do with the MCU movie of the same name. In the comics, it was basically Captain America versus Iron Man, and the issue was it was going to be made illegal to be a masked vigilante. If you were going to do the superhero thing, then you had to declare your identity and be licensed. And Iron Man was in favour of this. Captain America was not. Spider-Man didn't want to argue with either team. He didn't want to register as a hero, as a you know an official vigilante, if you like. But he did reveal his identity. So everybody knew who Spider-Man was. And for a while, that was really interesting. There is an absolutely brilliant storyline where Wilson Fisk, the kingpin of crime, from jail, sends henchmen after Aunt May as a way of intimidating Peter Parker. And Peter Parker goes to visit Kingpin in jail as Peter Parker, not in costume, but as himself. And he beats the living heck out of Wilson Fisk in front of a whole load of other inmates. He turns to all of them and says, if you come after my family again, any of you, then I will come after you. Spider-Man won't, but I will. And then just walks away. It's the most badass thing Spider-Man ever did. And he did it to Peter Parker. Anyway, that's a diversion. What, a digression on this show, really? Well, yes. But back to the thing. So, yeah, this multiverse thing is a thing in Spider-Man. I'm not quite sure how it was decided that the X-Men were going to be all about time travel and Spider-Man was going to be all about alternative realities. But that seems to be how it's all gone on. So I'm glad we're getting that. Now, in the comics, once the whole storyline of everyone knows who Peter Parker is had kind of played itself out, the decision was taken in the editorial department to give him his secret identity back. And in the comics, he does that by making a deal with Mephisto, who is basically the MC, the, the MCU's, the Marvel Comics Universe's version of the devil. And there are consequences to that deal just as there are consequences to working with Doctor Strange to warp reality or however it is they're doing it. It's nice to see one of my favourite Tobey Maguire Spider-Man villains make a reappearance. Uh, I, as I understand it, there are going to be a whole load more uh, in the movie. Good. I'm, I'm all for that. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm hoping that we're going to start going in a slightly different direction with Tom Holland's version of the character. Although... I'm wondering how many more movies he's got left in him. So, you know, there's, there's that to consider too. I don't know. 
I don't know. I guess we will just have to wait until Christmas and find out. As I said, you've almost certainly seen this trailer already, but if you haven't, it is available for your viewing pleasure in the show notes. Just go to www.destinationvenus.co.uk, click on the blog button and look for this episode of Geeking with Destination Venus. And uh, there all the show notes will be. All the stuff about the uh, CFCs and um, Giancarlo, what's his name, being Professor Xavier and the video and all of that stuff will be available for you. Now, moving on with the show. I uh, mentioned at the beginning of the show about the Thoughtable comic book drive, uh, which I would just like to give another quick plug. Uh, do please bring any unwanted but readable comics that you have to Destination Venus or any of the Travelling Man stores that are acting as drop-off points, or send your stuff directly to Thought Bubble so that those comics can be distributed to schools and libraries and places that can use them. Thought Bubble, of course, is Yorkshire's comic convention. It's the biggest pure comic co- convention in the country. But it's not the only comic convention, and it's probably not the most famous. The most famous comic book convention, certainly in Anglophone comics, is without question the San Diego Comic Con. Otherwise known just as Comic Con, and yes, they have trademarked the word. The San Diego Comic Con has been running for a very long time now, and it is the show. I've, I've got a friend uh, who lives in San Diego who refers to it as the Nerd Prom. I don't think he coined that phrase, but it is. It's un- unbelievably important in terms of geek culture, nerd culture, because it's not just comics. Now, I thought that it had always been, you know, a comics event that had been then infiltrated by movies and TV and other geeky stuff. Turns out I'm wrong. And all of that stuff was there from the very beginning. And what we have now at SDCC with, you know, sort of thousands of people in Hall H watching a panel on the latest Star Trek series or the latest Star Wars movie or Doctor Who or whatever it is, all of which are, you know, comics adjacent, certainly, but not really comics. That's how it's always been. It's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, Comic-Con these days is huge. Just, it's, the size of Comic-Con just blows my mind. But it started small. It started as a little event put together by some science fiction and comics fans at uh, university together who just thought, let's do a thing. And it snowballed. And the story of the San Diego Comic-Con is a fascinating one. Don't worry, I am not proposing to tell it here, but it is worth exploring. And you can do that. This week's podcast recommendation is Comic-Con Begins. It's an eight-part series which tells the story of the San Diego Comic-Con from the very beginning through the eyes of the people who were actually there. Not everyone who was involved in the creation of the SDCC is still with us, but a lot of people are. And even some of those who were no longer with us gave interviews and such before they died. And uh, it's beautifully tied together. And it really does get under the skin of the friendships and the rivalries and the resentments and everything that went together to create what has to be one of the biggest geek events in the world. So that's Con Begins, uh, available wherever fine pods are casted. It was previously available behind a paywall. It is now free. So 
do go and check that out if you have any kind of interest at all in Anglophone comics history. It is one heck of a story. And do you know what? Genuinely quite inspirational. Anyway, speaking of comics, time to have a quick look at what's on the rack this week that I am particularly pleased about. So we're going to start with Superman vs. Lobo issue one. Now, there are a couple of reasons why this might not have been the book for me. The first is that it's got Superman in it, and I am not the biggest fan of Superman stories. I like the character, but my problem with Superman has always been he's too powerful. He's basically invulnerable. He's got no real threats. So Superman stories tend to be about him saving other people from things that are being done to them because of him or sort of great globe threatening problems, which I don't know. I, I, also, I don't buy his motivations, but that's just because I'm cynical. The problem with this book is it's what our American friends call oversized, which is to say it's not the same size as a regular comic. And this will seem silly to people who don't have my level of comics collectors um, pernickiness. It just makes it hard to file. OK, my filing system for my comics, both at home and at the store, is based around the size of a regular US comic. And Superman versus Lobo, like quite a lot of the black label books that DC have been putting out, it's too big. It's not even the same size as a British 2000 AD, because I can I, I could live with it then, because then I'd have I, I have a filing system for my 2000 ADs. It, I could fit it in there. That would be fine. But no, it's just a random size, and that's just it's very annoying. I wish they wouldn't do it. The standardization happened for a reason. Anyway, sorry, that's just me. So, why am I recommending Superman vs. Lobo if it contains a character I don't really care about and the format of the book itself makes me growl? Well, first of all, they've given Superman an opponent who can match him on a physical level. You may be unfamiliar with Lobo. Lobo is... Oh, good Lord, how do you describe Lobo? Lobo is an alien. He's got absolutely no figs at all to give. Uh, that's probably not how he'd put it. He's a stereotypical... If he wanted a stereotypical violent biker char character, amp that up by about five orders of magnitude, and that's Lobo. Uh, he's ridiculously strong. He's also basically invulnerable to damage. And... He's a character that is usually played for laughs, and that just punctures the pomposity of Superman just a little bit. And this story has Superman running into Lobo and then just trying to mitigate the damage that Lobo does just by walking around. And so it's the same kind of dynamic as the, the Super Sons, where you have Damian Wayne causing trouble and John Kent trying to sort the trouble out. This is Lobo going around wrecking stuff, Superman trying to stop him. And the question is, who's going to do the greatest damage? Is it going to be the damage that Lobo causes or the damage that Superman causes trying to stop him causing the damage? There's a nice little riff there on 
the ridiculousness of superheroes and the amount of damage they seem to get away with causing in cities in you know your regular superhero story so when they go up against a god-like creature well that's just going to get even funnier this is a story written by uh, tim seeley and sarah Beatty, who are the writing team behind money shot which is a ridiculously funny comic that I very much enjoy. I'm not going to say this, the premise of Money Shot now because it is it's genuinely quite a hard sell unless you can show people what you're talking about. But they're both excellent writers. They make a great team. The art is provided by uh, Mirka Andolfo, who is an Italian writer artist who her stuff is just, just gorgeous. She has such delicacy uh, in her art. And that's kind of an interesting, I don't know, do I call it a paradox? The artwork being so graceful, but the action it's depicting being so brutal. It's a really interesting mix. So highly recommended. Uh, it is slightly more expensive than a regular comic book in my store. Most of the regular comic books are 350 This one, because it's oversized, it's got the nice square bound spine and the cardstock cover and all the other things that DC do to justify charging you extra. Uh, it's actually a 550 book, but looks the business and it's a very entertaining read. Can't recommend it highly enough, really. But of course, you don't have to be a first issue to be a great read. And so I just want to highlight next a comic called Ice Cream Man, which I, I may have spoken about on the show before. It'll have been a while ago if I did that. Now, Ice Cream Man is a very difficult book to explain. It's a horror book, in I guess. Um, and it focuses on the character of the Ice Cream Man. Now, he is, on the face of it, exactly what that sounds like. He dresses like an old-fashioned ice cream man. He hasn't actually sold very much ice cream since issue one. And ice cream is rarely a theme. And that's not really what the book's about. It's almost an anthology book in that the only connecting thread through the stories is this agent of chaos, this demonic creature who is the ice cream man. Everybody else comes and goes. I mean, there aren't that many characters who survive to the end of an ice cream man, to be honest. Um, this is the 25th issue of Ice Cream Man. I can't believe they've got this weirdness this far. And it's still brilliant. This issue focuses on the goings-on on a passenger flight. It's a horror book. It's clearly going to end in disaster. That's not a spoiler. But it's not going to go wrong in the way that you think it's going to go wrong. Ice Cream Man is such an unpredictable series. Uh, and I'm not the first person to say that. It, lots of critics have said that. It's just look just go to your local comic shop and have a look okay it, it's so difficult to explain the brilliance of this book i just want to highlight it because it is consistently a work of genius it just is it's awesome so do yourself a favor if you like horror or the sort of twilight zony kind of stories if you're a fan of black mirror this is a comic you really, really should read. 
And sadly, I'm afraid those are the only two comics of this week's input that I've read because I've been really, really busy watching the Paralympic Games and preparing for Free Comic Book Day, which is coming up on Saturday. If you listen to this as it drops, Free Comic Book Day, Saturday from 11 o'clock underneath the stairs at the Everyman Cinema. Uh, Just drop in and say hello and we should have some wonderful free comics for you. And yeah, I am going to keep mentioning it. And so, as time's winged chariot speeds ever on, let's move on to the next section, which I'm sure you've been missing. And I thought just for a change, I wouldn't put it at the front. But it is now time for... And just the one space story this week, and it's more space adjacent in that it's about people possibly not going into space. But it's something that hadn't occurred to me, and it's actually a really important point. So SpaceX has lots and lots of launch plans. Um, It's got a launch schedule that's pretty busy. Reach the point now, really, where SpaceX launching something into space has become pretty much routine. But it hasn't actually launched anything since the 30th of June. Now, okay, that's not quite a month ago, but we're used to SpaceX launching stuff much more frequently than that. Now, it is partly because uh, there have been delays in the production of uh, SpaceX's Starlink satellites. And um, good, actually. I'm not a big fan of Starlink. I'm a big fan of what it's setting out to do. I think providing cheap internet globally from space is just broadening access in a way that is inspired and inspiring. And it could actually make a lot of difference. On the other hand, as currently configured and as currently planned, Starlink is going to put so many highly reflective objects in orbit around the Earth that it's going to make sort of ground-based astronomy, almost impossible. Now, I'm not saying that people in third world countries shouldn't have high-speed internet because I want to look at the stars. I am saying, maybe think about that and do your satellites in a slightly different way. I think there are too many, apart from anything else. We've got another problem with Starlink in that there's already too much junk flying around in space, the more microsatellites, which is what Starlink are, really, we put into orbit, the more we increase the risk of collisions between space junk and satellites, which creates more space junk, which adds to the problem. And we're going to get to the point where we're not going to be able to put astronauts into low Earth orbit because there'll be too much stuff coming around to hit them. And, you know, Even tiny things hitting you at the kind of speeds we're talking about in orbit can be devastating. You can be taken out by a paint fleck. So I wish a little bit more thought and consultation had gone into Starlink. Um, That is the problem when you have the vision of a billionaire just being serviced at the whim of the aforementioned billionaire. Because no one's telling him no and no one said, Elon, hang on. How about if we just think about this? Better solutions could have been achieved, is what I'm saying. Anyway, that is not what this segment is about. This segment is about the fact that 
SpaceX seem to have slowed their launch schedule down. Um, they are supposed to have a launch on August the 28th, and that's delivering cargo to the International Space Station. It's a commercial flight, so I presume they'll be launching that. Now, the issue with everything else seems to be a shortage of liquid oxygen. Now, liquid oxygen is one of the main propellants used by most rockets. Okay, it's one of the reasons you can burn stuff in space is because you take your oxygen with you. But rocket fuel is not the only thing that liquid oxygen is important for. The United States is currently in the middle of yet another surge of COVID-19. Uh, they're doing not that great, I think. Uh, just as numbers are beginning to rise a little bit too rapidly for comfort in the UK, things are not going well in the US. There are a huge spike in uh, Delta variant cases, and it's led to a big spike in hospitalizations. Now, this may be down to some of the resistance to um, control measures to control the, the virus that they've been in the US. Uh, it's very difficult to get people in lots of places in the US to wear masks. There's an awful lot of vaccine hesitancy in the USA. Um, that can't be helping. But ultimately, when you've got large populations and a very contagious infection, you're going to get spikes in cases. And that's what's happening. That means that there's a huge demand for liquid oxygen in hospitals because the oxygen that you give people with in respiratory distress comes in bottles as a liquid. Now, obviously, obviously, the needs of people in hospital fighting for their lives, fighting for their breath, are much greater than the needs of billionaires wanting to play about in space. So if we're not going to have enough liquid oxygen for rocket launches, so be it. Obviously, we need to keep the International Space Station supplied because there are people on there and they need feeding. But apart from that, if we have to curtail our trips to low Earth orbit for a bit, then we have to curtail our trips to low Earth orbit for a bit. I'm a huge advocate for space, but do you know what? It's not the most important thing in the world. So here's to getting a grip on this whole pandemic thing. Here's to there not being a massive spike in hospitalizations. Here's to people not needing to have liquid oxygen in hospitals because everyone can breathe fine. Here's to working towards that. Uh, I've not talked about the science of the pandemic in the science slot yet, uh, but some of it's fascinating. Maybe I'll have to do that next week. But anyway, that's it for space. You know, when I started this show as Geeks at the Gates, it never occurred to me to do jingles. Been missing a trick. I really like having jingles. Anyway, that's nearly it for the show. Before we finish, um, a quick apology to you, dear listener, and also to Alice. We did have our discussion of Lord of the Rings scheduled. It was supposed to be last Friday, if you're listening to this, as it drops. Alice had some life stuff to deal with and so couldn't do Friday. And I said, oh, cool, that's no problem. Shall we reschedule for Monday or Tuesday? And then I did nothing about it. So we never did reschedule. And so we still haven't had the discussion. We are still very much intending to. We will manage to be on opposite ends of a Discord server 
at some time, fairly soon, and that discussion will be coming. Because it's good. I'm really interested in what Alice has got to say. We were going off on a bit of a tangent when we finished our last recording session, which you've heard now. And I'm fascinated to, to get Alice's perspective as someone who is very different from me. She's a lot younger than me. She is, of course, a she. Uh, and she's got a very different relationship with these stories. So it's, it's, and, and anyway, all of that will come up when we actually have the conversation. So don't worry. I know it's another week where you just have to listen to me blether on, but I hope it's been, you know, like a bit interesting. And other voices are coming. Now, just a quick glance at the Geek Community Corkboard. Uh, before we go, we should have a jingle for that too. Um, there's nothing on it except Free Comic Book Day. Free Comic Book Day is, as you listen to this on August the 26th, is on Saturday, August the 28th. I've mentioned it on this show before. I'm not going to go into details again. There's going to be some free comics. Come and get them, basically. No purchase necessary and all of that jazz. Go to www.destinationvenus.co.uk and click on the free comic book day button for all the info that you need. And before we move on, just a very quick reminder. If you have any readable quality comics that you want to get rid of, that have to be pristine, just readable, please consider donating them to the Thought Bubble comic book drive. Thought Bubble wants to get comics into the hands of as many people as possible. They want to get them into schools, into libraries, into community groups, wherever comics might be enjoyed. And they're going to work to redistribute unwanted comics to people who can use them. More information on their website, uh, which is thoughtbubblefestival.co.uk, or just drop your comics in to either us at Destination Venus or Travelling Man in Leeds, York, Manchester, Newcastle. And there are others. I can't remember what they are. Check it out on the Thought Bubble website. And Thought Bubble will do the rest. OK, if you've got a massive amount of comics to donate, please let the drop off point you're using know before you turn up. Storage may be an issue. We will sort it, but it may be an issue. Let staff know at the drop off point you're going to use so that they're prepared. Also, please don't leave stuff outside in the street. Please only take stuff when the stores are open. Check their websites to see when that's going to be, just to be sure. Leaving stuff on the streets, potential trip hazard, stuff will get ruined. It's not great. So please, please don't do that. Um, but all donations hugely, hugely gratefully received. You can make a lot of difference just by clearing some space on your shelves. So thank you in advance for that. Uh, that really is it for the community court board, because as I said, no one else has given me anything. So if you have a geeky event of any kind, perhaps you have a business that's going to do something or some charity thing or just something for fun. Let me know. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. Please remember, it's not an advertising slot. I'm not just going to plug your business. But if you're doing something, there's an actual event that I will promote the heck out of because I don't want people to miss out on geeky good fun. That's it for this week. We are pretty much out of time. All that's left is to tell you that uh, Geeking with Destination Venus is a copyright feature of Venus Rising Media and is proudly engineered in Yorkshire. We'll see you next week, hopefully with Alice. Until then, be kind to yourself, be kind to everybody else. Be safe, take care. Until the next time, we go geeking.